0: everyone and welcome into living liberty today i'm your host charlie earl and this is episode 18 yes the drama continues that's our title for this week's episode i do want to remind you you can pick up uh, living liberty today on our facebook page or you can go to charlie earl on linkedin see earl writing at parlor or Living Liberty Today on we And again, we'll keep adding platforms on a week to week basis as we go on. If you have any comments or commentary, opinions, or whatever, you can send them to Living Liberty Today at protonmail.com. That's Living Liberty Today at proton, P R O T O N M A I L.com. And, uh, I'll respond to you. I'm pretty quick at doing that. Well, for a guy in my condition, anyway. So the drama continues. What am I speaking about? Well, actually, it's a twofold. I would call it a bipolar drama, if you will. First of all, we have the ongoing election that never ends. Uh, That's still underway with lawsuits. Some of them are criminal in nature. Others are constitutional. Uh, they are ongoing. I know there have been a number of lawsuits and the press, has, I guess in some respects gleefully reported, that Trump lost another lawsuit, what have you. But actually, uh, the Trump campaign itself has only lost once so far, and that was in the Third Circuit. There are other ancillary lawsuits filed by individuals within some respective states that have not gone well, others filed by other legal uh, entities that have filed and and maybe been uh, dismissed or rejected, what have you. But there are so many lawsuits and so many, uh, I guess, complaints, you might say, being filed all across the spectrum of the nation, particularly in the six or seven states Uh, in question that it's hard to keep track without a scorecard, but suffice it to say the fight still goes on. I suspect that uh, the outcome of this election will be determined by a Supreme Court ruling, and what I fully expect, though, is the Supreme Court We'll look at all the issues involved in the various states un- under question or under scrutiny right now and tell the respective state legislators to get off their rear ends and do something about it. Because if you look at it closely and you understand Article 2 and the way this is supposed to function, the state legislatures have the constitutional duty, responsibility, and obligation to set the parameters for elections in their respective states. That power isn't left to the state elections official, whether it be a secretary of state or whomever, or attorney general or governor, although some states may explicitly, in legislation, yield that uh, power of those individuals, but those under question right now and under scrutiny right now have not done so. So my guess is, and I'm not an attorney, I don't play one on radio, uh, but my guess is the Supreme Court's going to look at this hodgepodge and this collection of messes and say, hey, state legislators, get your acts together and get this thing resolved. Do it within your own states. Again, then, we're going to come. Let's assume that that is the ruling. Let's assume I'm correct. I've been married 51 years. I'm I'm used to assuming that I'm correct until I'm proven wrong, which is often the case. But nevertheless, just for the sake of argument, let's assume that I'm correct and the Supreme Court does issue that kind of a ruling, saying that there are clear constitutional violations, each one a little different in each state. And so state legislators, legislatures, you have to get your acts together and get this resolved and handle it in an appropriate manner. But don't forget, we have six to seven states, depending on how many are in the final uh, complaint and arguments that are filed. Six or seven states involved here. And each state will probably handle the resolution of this difficulty in different manners. It may be conceivable. I'm not predicting this, but I'm just telling you it's one of the possibilities is that one state or two states or maybe three states might say, "Okay, this is so screwed up and so far beyond ability to repair. We're going to have a new vote. That's conceivable. That's possible. but. Election Day, National Election Day, was designated as November 3rd, the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November in every fourth year. So how are they going to have a new vote and still, at some level, some means, comply with the constitutional requirement for that voting day? Others are going to say, perhaps, again, Not a prediction, just a speculation, are going to say, okay, we're only going to count the votes that were in, that were in by closing of the polls on election day. In other words, if the polls closed in that respective state at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m., only the votes that got in by that time were allowed to be uh, called. There's one or two states that that the legislature did extend the voting time for two, three, five, or I think in one case up to 12 days. But the requirement was the ballots had to be postmarked by the end of election day, 7 or 8 p.m. on November 3rd. So they may say, okay, we're only going to count those ballots that were. legalized by then anyway what i'm saying and what i'm trying to get at is that the resolutions to this if the supreme court does what i suspect it may the resolution to this is not going to be one size fits all we're still going to have a federal remedy in the sense that each state in its own laws and its own way of dealing with things will come up with a different type of remedy So I guess what I'm saying is, the drama continues. That's the title of today's show, The Drama Continues. So the bipolar nature of what we're facing now, and the big issues that hang over the United States, in addition to all the others that get squawked about all the time, is the COVID-19. I would call it a fiasco in the sense that the WHO, the CDC, the National Institute of Health, uh, numerous epidemiologists, doctors, dentists, uh, drunks, saboteurs, people of all nature across the board have come up with prescriptions, remedies, uh, complaints, what have you. Now, I think I've told you before in previous podcasts that our family uh is in the restaurant business and i got to tell you here in ohio it's been particularly devastating for us and many like us small businesses we'd only been in business for less than a year when this thing hit and our governor little mikey dewine decided to put the clamps on things and, and knock it down let me say that I think public health is vital and critical. I have, I'm not trying to demean the concept and the need for having a good, sound approach to dealing with public health issues. But also let me go on and say that there has been no documentation, there's been no evidence, there's been no justification for assuming that the COVID outbreak or the COVID spikes or the increasing numbers of COVID cases have resulted from restaurants or bars even for that matter. Our our restaurant does have a liquor license, but we don't consider ourselves a bar where a restaurant just serves liquor. That's why our closing time is 8 to 9 p.m. in the evening because we don't want to encourage the bar crowd. We really want to be a, a dinner with a drink type of of location so they have yet and our governor in ohio and other states i'm sure have yet to prove through this sophisticated contact tracing i guess mechanism they have have yet to prove that restaurants or bars are the cause of the problem now in some cases they have identify identified covid outbreaks following weddings or funerals or mass gatherings of that type. But again, we're never told. We're told that, say, 300 people were at an event, and they say that there were 64 cases that came about because of that event. But we're never told about the severity of those particular cases from that encounter. We're never told about the hospitalizations or all that stuff resulting from that encounter. Once in a while, we hear about An event somebody attended, got the the COVID, and ended up being hospitalized and, and maybe perhaps dying, which is tragic. Over a quarter of a million people already in the United States. That's too many. But on the other hand, then, we see competing data or representations that mask wearing and social distancing does minimize the spread of the disease. And then we get others that come back and say, no, they don't. They enhance it. Because if you're breathing in this mask for a long period of time, you're creating a wet, moist environment that uh, the virus loves. So who knows? All the data we get, I shouldn't say all, most of the data we get, most of the pronouncements we get are all kind of speculative and always subject to change. So I guess that's another bipolar example. Let's look ahead. So everybody's breathing and holding their breaths with the development of the vaccine may at some level release the restrictions or at least loosen up the restrictions on social gathering and on mask wearing and all that kind of stuff. They think that's going to do it. That's going to be the panacea. And from what I've been able to discern and read, we're probably not going to have a mass distribution of the vaccine until probably next summer. They're going to start early this month uh, with people at highest risk. Uh, we're talking about healthcare workers, nursing home type uh, workers, and maybe nursing home residents. Uh, they're going to be given priority. But again, that's up to each state how they allocate the resources coming in. And we must remember that in the beginning, particularly December, January, maybe even into February or March, they're still going to have limited amounts of the vaccine available. So it will be a slow trickle as they put it out there for people to take. Um. So let's assume, now I'm going to go theoretical here, then I'll come back to reality. Let's assume that we have 100% vaccination. We're we suddenly going to be uh, freed from the mask requirement and the social distancing. Are stores and restaurants going to be able to open full bore? I doubt it. I doubt it. And again, we have surveys that we've seen or polls that show 40% of the people don't trust the vaccine and are leaning towards not getting it if it's available. So how serious are the powers that be going to be with they require the vaccine in order to function in a normal way uh, within society and around your neighborhood? Those are the things we'll get into as we go forward, because this issue is not done. It's going to be around us for a long time to come. By the way, this is our 18th week, our 18th episode. If you're keeping track at home, that's 2.4 dog years. Yes. Well, that's Living Liberty today for this week. We'll be back again next week. But until then, I encourage you to live free and be free. Have a good day. I'm Charlie Earle.